This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hey, I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today we're talking with Sherry Yeager Goodwin, a business strategist, leadership coach, and speaker. Sherry is also a horsewoman, and she's well-known for workshops where participants build confidence and tweak their executive presence as the result of feedback they get from horses. In explaining how all this works, Sherry will draw from her book, Take the Reins, Seven Secrets to Inspired Leadership. Sherry, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's great to have a chance to visit with you. Thank you, Bev, for the opportunity. It's great to be with you. Sherry, I loved your book, Take the Reins. As a as a coach myself, I sometimes have a hard time getting at the issues that hold clients back related to their energy and their state of being. And the work you do with horses to develop self-awareness was really fascinating to me, and I'd love to have you talk about it. But before we get into that, you've had quite a career yourself, and I'd just like to, to hear the, about the story of your own work life and how you came to this place where you're coaching people and doing this amazing work with horses. So can you tell us a little bit about how your career path has gone? Sure, sure. Thanks, Bev. It's been uh, it's been really kind of varied. I, I kind of jokingly call myself the queen of the reinvention because <laughs> I seem to be kind of going in in different directions, but all all with the same theme. And mm-hmm. I'll share that with you in a minute. But uh, when I was a kid, I always loved animals and loved dogs. I had this little pack of dogs in the neighborhood and used to play with them before school. I was kind of a weird little kid. My mother uh, just kind of let me play outside and all the stray dogs would come by and the dogs in the neighborhood would come by and I had little treats and I'd just sit in the backyard and, and they'd come and go and fight and play and whatever and I'd just laugh and watch them. Mm-hmm. So That's from yeah, right from way back then, I really had this fascination with nonverbal communication and energy and kind of this dynamic of, of what was going on with the dogs. That just was so fascinating to me. So then later I thought, oh, of course, I'm going to be a veterinarian because that's what every little kid that loves animals is going to be a veterinarian, right? <laughs> yeah, we, we all go through that phase, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we go through the phase, and I loved horses, of course, I loved horses too, but we couldn't afford a horse, but I kind of managed to, to get rides here and there, and I did horse 4-H, I was only the only kid in the horse 4-H with no horse, so that was kind of a good thing, because I was able to ride other people's horses and learn from them, and instead of just having one horse, but I finally ended up in college, and I, I graduated with a dual degree in zoology and English, and folks used to laugh at me and say, what are you, like Dr. Doolittle, you know, what kind of job are you going to get doing that? And uh, so there's this animal theme that's kind of been pervasive. And I ended up getting, um, I was very much into environmental issues. And I was living in New Hampshire, and I thought, geez, you know, where can I go to have some impact on the environmental scene? And I'd been to D.C. back in, gosh, I think in high school on a school trip, and I loved it. I just loved how beautiful it was and, and kind of the, the power and the capital and all of that. So I, I came down here after college with no job. And... Um, Found, was lucky and found a job working uh, with an environmental consulting firm, and I didn't even know there was such a mm-hmm. thing. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's something that's more common than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, I really didn't even know, and I didn't know you had contractors for EPA. I was so naive, and I just lucked out because I, they, the company I was working for needed uh, someone with a science background who could write. And I thought, well, that sounds like me, and um, that started a 20-year career. Unbeknownst to me at that time, I worked for a few different companies, engineering firms in that space for, for 20 years. Um, and I also jumped off and on that same career path a few times at the same time. And because uh, I have a really strong entrepreneurial spirit, so I, I jumped off at one point because I thought, oh, I'm going to be a management consultant. And I made little business cards and I, I gave my resignation and I marched out there with no business. And, and uh, that was interesting. <laughs> How long did you do that? Um, gosh, I guess it was probably almost two years. And at the same time, I had... Uh, I was teaching riding lessons, horse riding lessons, so I had a little money coming in at least from that. And then I, I called the company I used to work for, and I ended up consulting back to them, which was a fabulous first step as a consultant. But eventually I realized, you know what, I'm, I'm not really looking that great on paper as far as getting a mortgage or kind of long-term sustainability, so I should probably shore up my skill set a little bit more and um, you know, try to work with a, a proper firm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I went back. I ended up going back to a different engineering firm, but some of the same people. I used my network. They were amazing people and, and took me in and, and had a really pretty robust career. Um, that was, I think I was working for SAIC at that point and working on stormwater issues, wet weather, wet weather um, uh, pollution control issues, and a lot of other things. But I still had this little nagging entrepreneurial thing going on that it's just, it just so has been let, with let me. me just ask, when you say you had this little entrepreneurial urge, I guess, what did it feel like? What, what was driving you to do something independent or what pushed you? That's such a really great question, Bev. And, you know, it's, it's, when I think about it, it's, I'm, looking, I'm an opportunist and I see things like, I'll look out and say, wow, you know, somebody should really look at, at doing that, you know, a certain service, or I'll see a little, a little piece where um, someone could slot in. And, and in the past, I'd never think it was me. But then I thought, you know, what if, what if I did do that? And, and this, the next part of my career, um, it took kind of a turn. My parents had a high-tech staffing firm out in California. And at the time, the, uh, in D.C., it was becoming more in um, IT staffing and IT consulting was becoming really, really hot back in the 90s. And I kept advising them. I said, you know, you should probably have an office out here and, and you could do this and this and this because I kind of have the strategy brain, but never, ever thinking that I would, I would be the one. I didn't want anything to do with it. I was doing environmental stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they finally just said, look, you know, we would love for you to open an office and run it. I said, I don't know anything about that. But uh, there was a challenge there. There was a need there. There was a uh, maybe it's an independence piece, and I did it. So I started from nothing, and that led down a whole different path. And I did that for three years, and it was all cold call sales. We had no business here, nothing, no reputation, nothing. Very competitive market, and it was a pretty steep learning curve. And there were a lot of challenges with that. I almost drove it straight into the ground for the first six months. We started out at zero, and I took it into the red really fast, uh, which was a big challenge. And then through this work with the horses, I was able to kind of reflect on myself. How was I showing up in this space? And I found that I was showing up in such a path- 
pathetic, desperate way that I wouldn't even buy for myself. So how did did work with horses help you to recognize how you were showing up? Yeah, so what happens is horses... Horses are, they look at this dynamic of energy, and what I mean by that is they're, they're pretty basic. They say, I can either trust you or I can't trust you, or I'm not sure. You know, so that's about it. So if they trust you, they will be drawn to you and be pretty much comfortable around you. And I'm not talking about riding them, just talking about being in their physical presence, being near them. If they don't trust you or they don't like you or they're sniffing out some kind of fear, they move away from fear. So they'll move towards confidence and trust, and they move away from fear. So when I would work with them and and I have this fear energy driver, they actually move away from me. And that's the same thing that was happening with my prospecting, was that I was actually so scared that I wasn't going to make it and that I, wasn't, I was going to fail and be rejected, that that fear was sabotaging my ability to get clients. Wow. And so you started working on your presence when you were with your horses, and as you shifted it, it carried over to your work with your prospects? It did, and it really made me... So I had that, that whole energetic piece. I was looking at that, and it's, it's your entire being. It's somatic awareness. What are you feeling in your body? We know what fear feels like, and we know what it feels like in your body. So where is that tension and really recognizing that and then really feeling what it feels like to be in a different state, so energetic state. So I thought, all right, how can I, how can I be more authentic and more me? I mean, I was authentically scared, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it wasn't very productive. So how can I actually show up from a, with, from a place of confidence and trust? What would that look like? What would it feel like? So I had a little script that I was using for my cold calls. I ditched the script, and I started just thinking about, well, I've been pretty successful in my past parts of my career. What can I bring forward? Who was I? How did I feel? And I started relaxing into that space and bringing that forward into my conversations with prospects. So there were two things I did. I did that, changed my energy level, and was very aware of that. And then I adopted, adopted a new strategy, and I said, I just need to focus. And the horses taught me about this, too. I was, I was kind of branding myself in this IT space too broadly, and I wasn't really clear on who I best serve. So once I said, I am just going to work with uh, web portal, e-business development, that's what, was what I chose at the time for that company. When I got real clear on that, as you are with the horses, when you're super clear, they're like, ah, this is what she wants. This is what she does. I'm okay with this. And you blend that with the good energy. I got that business to $2.1 million by the end of the next six months. Wow. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. So then, though, you took another direction entirely, it sounds like, and you started coaching and consulting in a much broader way, but using that same horse-driven awareness. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought, geez, you know, if this is working for me, you know, I bet it could work for other people. And I bet I could help other people really find, step into this part of themselves and, and bring that plus a really good strategy and an implementation plan, you know, good follow through and accountability and really help some folks. Um, it could be entrepreneurs, executives achieve their big goals. So that's what I did. I, I launched the, I actually launched the horse piece first and I thought, ah, that's what I'm doing. And I had some consulting and coaching around that, too. Um, so I led with the horse piece, and I had two people in my very first workshop. <laughs> That's a good start. Yeah, at least somebody showed up. <laughs> yep. And, and at your first workshop and the workshops after that, 
just how, how do you do this? How do you structure something like that? Yeah, so we have an indoor arena, indoor riding arena, so it's all enclosed. And inside the indoor arena, we have half of it fenced off with um, a round pen. They call it a round pen. So the horse goes into the round pen and is loose. And then the people come in and they start to work with the horses. And I've done a lot of one-on-one and I've done a lot of group work. And I also now do a lot of this kind of supplements, the equine piece supplements all the other work that I do. So people can really ground truth how they're showing up at work through our coaching. We'll, We'll have them come in and look at the horses or do strategic planning with the horses. And, and so more specifically, let's say uh, for, for the sake of, of a career transition, we have someone who is uh, a senior executive somewhere and they're just not happy even though they're making a lot of money. They feel like they need to make a change and they're exploring some options, but they're really nervous about the next step. We would do a simulation with the horse. The horse would be their partner they go in and work with the horse and navigate an obstacle course with the end point, the finish line, would be securing their dream job. Fascinating. Right? So it happens, and they can't touch the horse. And so it's all about energy and body language and intention, being clear about what you want to have happen together. And along that path, the horse is going to reflect the energy level, the motivator, the level of clarity that this person has, the level of leadership they have. Can I trust you? You know, along this. And really what it is, the horse is reflecting that person. So it shows that individual where their fear blocks are and where, uh, if they're going to be interviewing for a job, if something comes up, how to be able to handle that with grace and with confidence and to build trust in the, in the interviewer that, yeah, I'm really the right person for this job. I had an experience like that about 10 years ago, much less profound than I think working with these wonderful horses. I looked on your website and saw the photos, but um, I'd love to see them in real life. But I, I had a little experience when I was taking a dog training class with a wonderful, well-known dog trainer, Wendy Volhard. And I had my uh, Chesapeake Bay Retriever, who was not too badly trained, but was kind of a nervous dog. And we were doing an exercise where I put her in a sit, and I walk out 50 feet or so, and I turn around, and I pause there for a while, and then I tell her to come. And she's supposed to run up to me and sit at my feet facing me. And I'd I'd never had any trouble with that at home, but I was having trouble working with her. She was kind of nervous and not being responsive. So I put her in a sit, and I walked out 50 feet to do this, and I said, Lindy, come. And she looked up. She looked around. She paid no attention to me. And I, of course, got more uh, frustrated, and I tried it again, and I tried it again. And finally, Wendy came out, and of course I was in the middle of class, and so a whole lot of people were watching me, and I was just beginning dog training, and I was getting sort of upset and self-conscious inside and trying not to show it. Wendy came out, and she said, kind of whispered in my ear, Bev, Lindy is not going to come to you because she can feel that you're frustrated with her, and you don't really want to be close to her. If you let her know that you'd really like to have her with you, you're not going to have any problem." So I tried it again. I went out, and I tried to visualize my heart, sending out sort of these messages, this red energy of love to Lindy, saying, Lindy, I love you, and I'm sorry if I've been uptight, but 
I'd love it if you'd come to me because I love you. And she, when I gave the signal, she came. She was perfect. She sat directly in front of me. And the whole thing was that I put aside my anger and frustration. And I, I didn't know how to express love without moving because in dog training, you're supposed to be perfectly still. But I just visualized my heart, and it it, 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 it seemed to work. And I have tried that in uh, before I speak before a group, and I'm kind of nervous. I try to visualize that I, I want to interest you, and I hope you'll be responsive to me. Is that the kind of thing you did? Oh, so beautiful. I can actually see her responding to you so beautifully, and I, I love that you had that experience and that you shared it. And, yes, it, it is that. This is the somatic awareness piece because the animals work in a, they live in a world which is nonverbal. And they feel the energy from your heart. They feel your intention. You know, that's, that's the clarity piece. And if it's, if it's calm and feels safe, a lot of them are quite willing to, to come with. Of course, a lot of them have their own personalities, too, and maybe they don't feel like coming with at that point. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, they're complicated creatures. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or environmental studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. In your book, um, Take to the Reins, Seven Secrets of Inspired Leadership, you give some good tips based on this experience, some strategies, And one of the chapters I particularly liked was your chapter about trust and and what it means to be attractive and how being attractive and trustworthy are linked. Can you tell us a little bit about how we can manage that if we're, say, maybe running a meeting or something? Yeah, that's a big one. One of the biggest drivers for my work is trust. And it starts with self-trust. And that's at the heart. We, we always want to look at ourselves first. You know, these, it's, the temptation, if something's not going well, is to blame the external, to blame something else, some condition, some person, some situation. And really, in most cases I've found anyway, I don't know if you found this too, Bev, is it starts with us. You know, what's mm-hmm. really going on inside of us that could be, you know, we might be able to actually better influence the situation if we were a little more self-aware. So how trusting are you in that situation? You know, if you're going into a meeting, if there's a scary topic or there's a change in leadership or there's a, an accelerated time frame, a deadline on a project that you're all working on, now everybody's going to have to work late or nights or something. Uh, if you're nervous about communicating that to your team, then that they're going to not trust you as much. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you manage do, that? Yeah, so one of the things that I try to do is just get myself into balance. And I have a little section in there about find the neutral neutral place, the neutral space, which means we're going to try to get rid of the emotional charge around things. Just at least for a moment, you can pick it up later. <laughs> you can go back and yeah. get it. But let's just 
just take a deep breath and land and be fully present in that environment and detach from outcome. Just take all the pressure off. It's a fabulous mindfulness tip. So you just get rid of all of that, and then you visualize what you might want to have happen. This is about setting your intention, but you detach from it. So this is what I would love to have happen. This is my intention for for a but we're not tied to it with this, you, this has to happen or else kind of thing. And you engage from this place of heart. So we sink down into our heart and just begin to speak from that place, just like you did with your dog. So from outcome. So when when you do that, when you're visualizing, say I'm at the meeting and I'm getting ready to have maybe a meeting that's a little difficult and I'm visualizing that everybody is being collaborative and nobody's uh, being mean to somebody else and those kind of things. I'm visualizing something happy. And and people start coming in the room. If I've got this vision um, and I'm greeting people that way, will they find me more attractive? That is in sense that they'll kind of look to me as the leader of the meeting? Is Yeah, and so it's interesting because when you're in this place of balance, people will naturally gravitate towards you anyway because you feel good. You just literally, they may not even be able to express it or know that they're doing it, but you're just comfortable in your own skin. People love that. You know how it feels when you're next to someone who's just kind of chill. It's like, good, this is good. No drama, drama-free zone. And, and then you start to be able, what happens really is your brain is then open to kind of receive information as it's happening, you know, and you can change course pretty quickly in your strategy, meaning you can open with an understanding of, yeah, I know this is, uh, so if you have a meeting or, you know, if there's a deadline that's ambitious, or maybe you just lost a, a big proposal or something. And, and you want to let them know right away. Address the elephant in the room. We're not going to try to sugarcoat anything. We want to be very authentic and very real and speak from the heart. And the gut, too, is a a place of intuition and trust. Uh, The more we get up into our head and judge ourselves and have that self-critic about uh, it, it, the worse it gets. So you really want to settle down into your heart and to your gut and speak from that place, and people will start to trust you. They start to, just like your dog came to you when you changed your energy and you were more clear about what you wanted to have happen. And when you mentioned the visualization, if you visualize, say, the night before, so you know you, you have to give a talk or you have to do something the next day, I, I use visualization all the time. Visualize a scenario and pay attention to what's happening in your body as you visualize and pay attention to your breathing because what will happen is anytime there's a little anxiety or fear, you'll, you're, you'll feel that tension and constriction. Yeah. And you want to go back and redo that visualization until the place where you're relaxed and your body is feeling good about it, that's when your body has really accepted the possibility of, of this experience. I think something that happens at that point that's a, a real important part of maybe career resilience and enjoying your work is that when you're in that sort of neutral, comfortable place and your brain isn't racing and that voice in your head is calm, then you're in a place where you can actually listen to other people and there's lots of research that suggests that if you're truly listening to other people, they're going to respond to you. They're going to find you attractive in the sense that they want to be near you. They're going to feel a connection. Yeah. So that in that, that meeting scenario we set up, if you're in a, that neutral, comfortable place and you're focused on the other person, that l- you're going to listen in a way which can transform the, the relationships in the room. Is, is that part of it all? 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right, is being very, very open and being very present to what's happening in the room. Oftentimes what will happen if you're in that place, people will ask you questions that they wouldn't ask normally because they're afraid to ask a question. You're kind of closed down if you're in a fear or anxious kind of place. You'll start to open a dialogue, and then everyone can be heard, and, and you end up with this kind of collaborative spirit around a common cause, which is normally, you know, how do we get this project to succeed in this expedited time frame? Or what do we do now that we lost this big bid? Or whatever it might be. And the more that people can be open and actually really hear each other without their own specific agenda driving mm-hmm. the conversation, uh, the more success and the more attractive you become. Another theme in your book that I really like, because I see the need for it so often with my clients, is that the self-awareness we're talking about can help people manage fear in, a, in today's world, everybody has to be aware of the potential for career transitions. You know, very few of us are on a path that's just going to be one step after the other. And there's so much fear around transitions for so many people, whether it's a big promotion or it's totally changing the kind of work that you can do. So working with managing the fear, which actually can be a motivator, but it also can be debilitating, I think is, is part of how we manage our own work life. How do you work with clients who are struggling with fears? They're thinking about what to do next. Maybe their uh, entrepreneurs are going to take a big investment. You use some examples like that in your book. Or, or maybe they're just people who are having trouble making their sales calls. What, where would you start with that? Yeah. So it is, it's a, it's a really, really big deal, and we don't want to get paralyzed by fear. So the biggest thing is to, first of all, give yourself some grace and know that this is part of the process, and fear has, has kept humans safe for many, many years and from physical threats, and this is just a natural response in our mm-hmm. limbic system, and, and that's okay. So it, the first thing I have people do is just acknowledge it. Don't try to be something you're not. If you're scared, you're scared, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So then, then the second thing is to say, well, why, so if you're making a transition, why do I want to make this transition? And really getting to the heart of the why, because the why is going to indicate your driver. You know, why, why is this change so important to you? And if it's, if it's about, you know, I, well, I just need more money. Well, there, there needs to be something else there. Because money, money is okay. Money can be a driver, but not, money is not a sustainable long-term um, something you can you can do for a long time and only be motivated by money and be happy. That's what I've found anyway. It sometimes, say, if money's the answer, then you have to go deeper. Maybe you want money because you don't feel popular, or maybe you need money because you want to put your kid through college. But if if the first answer is is something kind of surface like money, that's when the work can really begin to help you figure out where is it you really want to be down the road. Exactly, exactly. And what I found, too, is figuring out what your strengths are. And people say, oh, what are your strengths? Oh, well, I don't know what my strengths are. Well, it, really taking some time to figure out what they are. And there's, a, is there some, you know, Strengths Finders is a great assessment tool for that. There's lots of stuff out there on the market. But that aside, just not even using any assessments, just going back at, at points in your life where you felt really, really happy. Where did you feel super happy? Where did you feel super happy at work? Where did you, you know, what are your passions? Uh, where did you feel, what's the last time you felt really successful and powerful and fantastic? And trying to bring that forward, because that's really what I call your greatness. 
your greatness stripped of fear. So what does that look like in these little tiny pieces of your life? You know, what is it? And then this is what I've done throughout my entire life. And then trying to weave that together and say, what does that look like? Who could, who could use this? Who could benefit from this? What kind of organization, what kind of position could benefit from this blend of, of strengths and passions and successful history? What is that? And bringing that forward, and, and in some cases, so some with, sometimes with my uh, senior execs, we don't have, there's no job requisition available for that. There's not, you know, there's not these companies out there looking for, we create things. So I feel like you, know, you can really control your, de- your own destiny, and that's something I've, I've really worked on throughout. I think I found that on uh, a fortune cookie in 10th grade or something. It's what's what's that? It says, control your own destiny or someone else will. Great. Great. Yeah. And one thing that I think a lot of us discover for ourselves, and in my case, you know, I wish I discovered it earlier, is that it's never too late. You can always make a shift, and, and careers today are, are really long. So it is possible to go through this process again and again, and you can get better at it if you make a shift from time to time. Do you feel like you're better at making a shift in your own career uh, because you've tried it and, 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 and managed the process? I think I am. And I, I think because I've, I've spent a lot of time working on myself, you know, what, how, the thing that drives me is where can I add the most value to the world? That's the question that drives me. And, and I left a fabulous six-figure job with a corner office and all kinds of fantastic people around me because I'm driven by that question. And I felt like I could add value there, but I could have more value in a different capacity. And I think you're, you're absolutely, I know you're absolutely right about the reinvention point at any, at any place. I have clients in their 50s and 60s who have completely changed their lives. Uh, some who are 30-year careers in the federal government are now doing something uh, in, in the commercial sector and making more money than ever and are feeling happy and free. Had a lot of different, different people starting businesses later in life and being incredibly successful and really, truly happy for the first time in their lives. So it is never too late. And it's, it's life, from, I, I think it's, a, it's an ongoing, evolving process of development. And the longer you keep pursuing things and honoring your own discovery, your self-discovery, and trying to figure out where, where can I add value and what, what excites me and what lights me up and giving yourself opportunities opportunities to do that, whether they're paid or unpaid, uh, will really help you for the rest of your life. I couldn't agree more. And I think this is a maybe a good note to end our conversation, that it doesn't matter whether it's paid or unpaid, that things can change over time. But your work is a big part of how you appear in the world, how you add value, how you um, interact with other people. And you're the way you address your work, your career path, even if you're doing some things as part of your career that aren't paid, is that's the way that you can uh, make a contribution and have a whole lot of fun at the same time. And it sounds to me that with your work with horses, that's just what you're doing. You're, you're making a contribution to your clients that sounds pretty extraordinary, but it sounds like you love what you do and you love the work with horses. Yeah, thanks. I absolutely do. I wake up happy every single day. It's such a gift. It's such a gift. I'm so grateful. And every, there's new things evolving all the time. And it's, uh, it's just fun. I feel very, very grateful for that. Well, that's terrific. I hope I get to meet your horses sometime. But meanwhile, I just want to thank you for uh, joining us. And thank you for your book. Again, that's Take the Reins, Seven Secrets to Inspired Leadership. I found it to be a really useful book for 
people who may not be thinking about leadership so much as their work life or their career generally. It has a really interesting take on how managing yourself can help you manage your career. So thanks again for uh, being with me today. Thank you so much, Bev. It's been an absolute pleasure. Today we've been talking with Sherry Goodwin, a business strategist, leadership coach, and speaker. Sherry's book, Take the Reins, explains how her clients build confidence and manage fear as the result of feedback they get from horses. And here's today's tip. If you're getting ready for a difficult meeting, prepare yourself by managing your own mood and attitude. Pause and take a few deep breaths. As you breathe, repeat an affirming phrase like, calm and strong. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. 